0: Had a long-term tenant in there, and when I realized, I was like, "Wow, this guy's paying my mortgage. I'm living practically, you know, mortgage-free." So I need to do more of this, but I didn't know how. Uh, it was just something I kind of fell into, which now we know is called house hacking.
1: You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji founders of the savvy real estate group where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008.
2: Hey fellow savvy real estate investors, hope everyone's having a wonderful week. I am just enjoying the fall colors right now, taking long walks every day, I, I kind of soaking in the last bit of somewhat warmth before we prepare for winter, but it's my favorite, favorite time of year and Halloween's coming up in just two weeks. So really super excited about that. Picking out all the kids' costumes. It's really great. So, um, definitely good time of the year. Um, just before I introduce our next guest, um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a perfect timely episode because, so many of the themes in this episode are things that I've been really thinking about recently, um, talking about leverage, leveraging different people in your business and partnering with people to grow. Um, obviously investing south of the border, which we have been um, heavily sort of looking into and and practicing for the last, you know several several years, and really just looking to educate ourselves and continue to grow south of the border. So figuring out so many different things there. Um, so yeah, I think that those are uh, some really great topics that we're going to talk about today, and um, you know we actually have Thomas Lorini on our show today. So Thomas is actually living in beautiful California. He is a Canadian, but living uh, south of the border. He got married and uh, moved moved there, I think, about eight years ago. Um, the great thing about what he does is just that again, like I said, he's really learned to leverage relationships. So he's able to do so many different things related to real estate, just by partnering with people in all different facets. Um, so in this episode, we really talked a lot about, um, you know, why he sold his Ontario businesses and, you know, basically moved physically to the United States and started investing there. Um, you know how he leverages and partners with people, joint venture partnerships, and other par- types of partnerships, um, raising capital to continue to grow in all different parts of business. Um, and then most recently, some of his exciting ventures with Wealth Genius and his coaching and his focus on really helping Canadians to expand into the U.S. and to really grow the Wealth Genius brand in the United States. So um, some really really great stuff. Uh, lots of really tactical stuff about the United States. The different states, um, why the differences between Canada and the United States, and why you know you invest down south, how you pick the particular geographic location, how you sort of cultivate some of these relationships, um, lots of different stuff like that. So, without further ado, I will get started uh, here with uh, Thomas Larini. Hey, everyone. We have uh, Thomas Larini on the show today. Thank you, Thomas, for being here. Very excited to have you. Uh, just a quick introduction. So uh, Thomas is a longtime real estate investor, been in the space for over 15 years now. Um, he's interesting because he is a fellow Canadian who has now switched over to living in the United States. He's been there for about eight years, um, You know, a wife from across the border who basically convinced him to, to make the leap uh, down south. So So um, now investing heavily in the United States. Uh, So as well as having the Canadian side of uh, the experience as well, Um, been an investor for uh, over 15 years, Um, originally has a mechanical engineering background. So, uh, you know, we all come from some sort of corporate slash uh, expertise before we uh, make the leap into real estate investing, I'm noticing. Um, And the expertise is all over the place. It started with singles, like a lot of us, um, has experience in the multifamily, as well as the hospitality industry and now recently branching out into the education and uh, mentoring sector. Uh, So I'll let Thomas tell you a lot about all of that stuff. So uh, without further ado, let's get started. Uh, Thomas, thanks for being on the show.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me here, guys. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. So, uh, you know, maybe you could just start out by telling us a little bit about your story. Everybody always wants to know, you know, how it all got started. Uh, You know, how did you uh, wound up investing in real estate, and uh, maybe a little bit about how you wound up uh, in California, which, you know, as it's getting colder here, more and more of us are like, well, we wish we were in California too.
0: Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, I'm born and raised in Toronto. Um, you know, I was, my background being mechanical engineering, I was a manufacturing CEO for many years. I've worked for several companies in the automotive industry, Ended up opening my own machining company in Vaughan back in 2007. My first taste of real estate was just I wanted to move out of my parents' house. So I bought like a 3 bedroom townhouse. And um, after a few months, I realized it's more house than I really need as a single guy. So I ended up renting out the basement to to a tenant. Uh, but funny story, you know, this or, the basement actually didn't have just a room and a bathroom with no showers. So I convinced that tenant to get a, a membership at the gym across the street to go take his showers. So <laughs> that's kind of a sidebar that, you know, you can really be creative in real estate in many ways. But once that tenant moved out, I ended up putting a shower in there and a kitchenette in the room and had a long-term tenant in there. And when I realized, I was like, wow, this guy's paying my mortgage. I'm living practically you know, mortgage-free, so I need to do more of this. But I didn't know how. Uh, it was just something I kind of fell into, which now we know is called house hacking. Um, but really, it took me several years, about five years later, to put myself into an environment where other people were doing what I wanted to do. My friends and family, my circle of influence at that time, nobody was in real estate investing. When you talk about investing, people talk about stocks and mutual funds, but not necessarily real estate. But it took me joining a group in Toronto. And uh, once I joined, within a few months, I already bought my next property, which was a duplex in Hamilton. And that kind of got my journey um, of getting into real estate. Um, from there I'm like you know I've done all sorts of different things but that first official rental property that duplex really kicked my butt because I wanted to figure it all on my own I drive to Hamilton and try and place my own tenants and deal with contractors and you know all the challenges and fun stuff that that offered because again I was new I didn't know what I didn't know and uh you know and unfortunately I didn't hire like property managers and so forth because I just felt like hey I want to I want to learn this but looking back I'm like all those challenges really kind of like, you know, helped me to, you know, overcome some of the, the limiting beliefs I thought I had. or at that time I, I probably had. Um, it got it got as bad as that. I wanted to sell the property and I got my real estate agent to list it, but it didn't sell. But thankfully it didn't sell because I still own that property. And it's probably worth like four times, you know, the way I bought it. But again, you know, we all have a journey and a path. Now. From there, I just continued to invest into, you know, smaller asset classes, condos, single families. Um, and it was mainly focused in Hamilton. So you had mentioned that I live in California now. So, you know, I married an American. So I was blessed enough to have that option to potentially, you know, move to the U.S. So we made a decision. If you recall the ice storm of 2000, I believe December 2014, we're like, this is crazy. We have power outages and everything. So it's like, let's get out of here. Let's go to California, let's try for six months and see if we like it. So six months later, we did like it. So we ended up coming back, selling everything, packing up, and then moving to Cali. So we've been there for the past eight years. Um, uh, You know, but, and then kind of continuation of my story. So once I moved to Cali, I was like, what am I gonna do? You know, I sold my machining company and I was like, all right, I kind of like this real estate thing that I was doing on the side at that time. uh, Just buying, buying, holding mainly. I, th- I I just figured out, well, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't know anything in California. I'm not in this system, I have no credit. Why don't I try this long distance from long distance to continue investing in Canada? And this was like, you know, way before like virtual, all this virtual kind of uh, education and and uh, and systems were available. But literally I pick up my phone and start calling realtors, property managers, and really kind of like just trying to make deals happen, just you know, law from long distance. And, what I realized is like I, I could do this and end up uh, partnering with Canadians and that's how I continue my journey. Uh, it was really through joint ventures. So I would partner up with you know friends, family initially, and they would uh, apply and they would secure the mortgages. I would find the deals. know, kind of manage it that sort of thing. And then you know slowly, slowly, portfolio would expand. And then I figured, well, after a few years, why don't I invest in the U.S.? So initially, I started investing in Ohio and then North Carolina, and then, you know, I am in California, so we've got several deals here in California. My father-in-law is a land developer, so I kind of got involved in that space of land development, entitlement, and, and new construction. So that was a whole other fascinating segment of real estate. Um, and uh, and in the last few years, um, I've kind of leveled up. Well, like a lot of investors, once you're investing for a few years in the smaller stuff, you're like, what about the bigger stuff? You know, like uh, having like, you know, 30, 40 single family houses spread across different cities is, is okay. But what about starting to buy the, you know, the the multifamily apartments type of thing? And that's kind of what I ended up doing. Um, started acquiring, you know, uh, apartments and uh, formally, you know, strategic teams. So uh, we ended up doing kind of um, syndication kind of a system where four or five partners would get together. We'd raise the capital and, and acquire these buildings. And mainly for value, value-add opportunities, force that first that appreciation over the upcoming years, and you refinance refi- it, that sort of thing. So that's where I've kind of like progressed to. In the last uh, seven, eight months, I, I I connected with Alfonso, who was the, who was the founder of Wealth Genius. Um, initially, I hired him as my coach, but within a few calls, we just kind of like uh, connected very well. So he brought me in as a partner. And now we're just expanding the Wealth Genius brand. At this point, it's right across Canada with about 400 members. And uh, in June, we launched um, the real estate uh, stream. So right now I'm helping Canadians invest in the, U- in the US and onboarding coaching clients. And the, really the vision with Wealth Genius is to have groups all across the US. That way um, we've got a support system for Canadians. Um, so if you wanna invest in say Dallas, or who are the groups in Dallas? Oh, we've got you know Joe and Cindy, um, they can be boots on the ground for you. Potential JV, provide resources or or even opportunities type of thing, and that's starting to happen. We've got a couple of, uh, of my coaching class students are moving to Texas. Then this month, um, onboarding a, um, a client from Ohio. So you know it's just it's been amazing to kind of see the progress there, and really for me, just the passion of helping others. And I think a lot of us who've been in this industry for a long time, at some point, it's like all right. I mean, you're accumulating assets, you know, you're creating wealth through real estate, but there's the element of helping others. You know, like a lot, I see a lot of other investors have goals of, I want to create like 100 millionaires over the next 10 years, or I want to create like, you know, real wealth and really help people. Um, And that's kind of like what I'm seeing with Wealth Genius is really sitting down with individuals, educating them, helping them wherever they are. They're brand new investors or experienced investors, it's just helping them kind of like stay focused and take the next step, the next steps and realizing, I mean, it's it's not perfect. I mean, and especially with the market conditions and everything that we're experiencing over this past year, um, you know, it's, it, it could be challenging. So I've got students who are flourishing, other ones who are really stressed, just depending on what strategy they were involved in or, or what they're doing type of thing, right? So, you know, it's my job to kind of understand them, help them, guide them, encourage them and uh, and just kind of give them some some ideas, um, help them to just keep pushing forward and hopefully look back, you know, 10 years in the future. I'm like, man, you know, 2022, it was a kind of a challenging year, you know, Do you remember, like those deals we were involved in, man, you know, we just felt so stuck or whatever, but we got through it, you know, because I can look back 10 years ago and some of the deals I have, I was involved in was like, man. Those were some challenging deals and just, you know, sleepless nights and, you know, dealing with some tenant issues or, or non-paying or damaged units, all that kind of stuff that we experienced. So, I mean, once you experience it, you realize, hey, this is, this is it. This is part of, this is part of the business type of sin. Don't, don't get surprised. You know, mm-hmm. when it comes, it comes, you know, I think I went up here of like four or five years with no tenant issues. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I have no, I have all the best tenants, no issues. And then one comes and you're like, whoa, this is like, this is hard. You know, it just this, from non-paying is one thing, but damaging units or complaints or police, all that sort of stuff. So if anything, I just want to warn, just give people a heads up. I'm like, it's not all roses and peaches and stuff. I like, it's it could be challenging.
3: For sure. I know you covered quite a bit there and we're going to get into a little bit more as far as your Uh, the wealth genius part and and the Canada U S because that's really want to focus the conversation on. But uh, since you have a kind of a unique um, perspective, you've lived in both uh, sides of the border. What, what would you say are some of the big differences that you're seeing between Canadian and U S real estate, whether it comes to financing, whether it comes to uh, you know, maybe tenants, I, I don't know. It's just in general.
0: Sure. Sure. Oh, that's a great question. I had a two-day poo camp in Toronto recently, I believe early last month. And that was one of the first parts of my presentation was the differences between Canada and U.S. I'm like, get to realize that, I mean, Canada is a beautiful country, but in population wise, it's small, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got your neighboring the United States a population 10 times the size of Canada, so with that, you've got a market 10 times the size, more tenants, more opportunities. I'm like, at the very least, I mean, just the opportunities alone are that much more available for investors. I tell people all the time, if you go on realtor.ca and you type in multifamily in an area, very limited amount of deals will come up. Yeah. So for the general, uh, general investor, I mean, access to opportunity deals are hard to come by. And then over like 50 units, forget it. You don't even find them on the MLS so those are usually traded off market between brokerages between reITs private syndications so you, you know we don't even have access to those deals on the flip side you go in the US and you can go online there's several sites uh connecting with brokers and you know as long as you can legitimize yourself as a, as a, a real a real um, buyer and operator I like, deal you have access to deals 100 plus unit deals. And yeah. that is just not available to the average investor in Canada. So just from a deal perspective, tons more opportunities. In terms of um, the, the different markets, so now you got 50 states you're dealing with and states with millions of people, you've got different laws, landlord-friendly versus tenant-friendly states. So that's something to consider. Like, hey, for me coming from from Ontario, where the laws are heavily favored for tenants, you know, versus a state, if it's Texas, Florida, uh, you know, North or South Carolina, or even Ohio, where it's landlord friendly, where you don't have this um, tenants, uh, or is like a rent continuation, or, you know, um, if the tenant doesn't pay, they're stuck in there type of thing. You don't have those kind of problems or challenges as much as you have in a lot of parts of Canada. So you've got that choice. So now you've got options as an investor, considering the U.S., um, then you have price points like, you know, we look at the average prices, I had a, a chart up where the average price, you know, earlier this year in Canada was for an average home was $800,000 compared to the US was $400,000. So now you're talking about affordability and and, and price point or in Canada, you know, things had just skyrocketed to just uncharted territories so high that it wasn't making fundamental sense. So when you're seeing like a building and the average price is like 250 350 a door, but the rents are still $1,000, $1,200 bucks. I'm like, this, this is not gonna cash flow. This doesn't make no sense. Why would I acquire this? Oh, if you buy, it's gonna keep going up. I'm like, well, that's not really a really a strategic plan. Like that's not really a way we should be reviewing, analyzing our deals versus the US where you can find many states where sub $100,000 know, um, per door acquisitions, so, you can find a building 60, 70, $80,000 a door, and the rents are 900, 950, 1100. So, now you're, you're starting to do the math and you're like, okay, I'm like, this is much more, this is healthier. This is giving me an opportunity, a chance as an investor. You know, it's challenging enough to acquire something. Number one, you got either you're you got to pull your capital or other, other people's capital together, then managing it, repositioning it, that takes, takes several years. But to do all that and just hope that the, the asset appreciates, it's very risky versus an opportunity in a market where, okay, from day one, the property covers itself, it cash flows. Now, all we want to do is we want to reposition this thing so it, it really pumps out more cash flow, so better return for our investors. Um, and also a better inv- a living environment for, for the tenants, type of thing. Uh, so, just those few things I think are key um differences between Canada and the U.S. um then you have taxation that comes to play I mean taxes are much more favorable in the U.S. versus Canada um everything from like retail tax to income tax there are states that have zero income tax can you believe yeah. that you know and and even like I'm in California whichever okay it's high price market but even like the re- retail tax is like seven percent compared to like what is it thirteen percent in Ontario.
3: Thirteen yeah,
0: percent. So it, it's 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 tough, you know, moving from t- Ontario, Toronto specifically to you know Orange County, California. All right, average prices are 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 relatively say a million dollars for the average home, but at the same time, the rest of your living expenses I find actually cheaper here um, than than back in Toronto. If you can imagine, even with the cost, the the dollar difference. Uh, so there's kind of those are some of the differences I would I would suggest people, and I just want to make it clear I'm not telling people or suggest don't invest in Canada. I'm like I do continue investing in Canada, but you probably want to consider diversifying you know your portfolio, and, and and venturing into the U.S. But there's the steps involved for that because someone's going to go online. I know they're going to find a sixty thousand dollars house somewhere like in Indiana. Like oh that's great I'm going to go buy that. I'm like, okay, well, to so be careful, right? Is it worth it? Because then yeah. they go buy this property, spend a couple hundred dollars in in uh, in cash flow. Um, well, then you got to file tax returns in the U.S. and all the expenses behind that can kind of wipe away any cash flow. So, is it really worth it? So, these are kind of things I kind of sit down with my students in, in Canada, and say, okay, what is your game plan? What is your goals and all that kind of comes to play and how to move forward.
3: Yeah. You know what? uh, Yeah. You made really great points there and I can, we can totally relate because we've uh, you know, we've been investing in the U S for a little while. uh, And and originally we started off with buying in cheap areas with no economic fundamentals. And we learned the hard way that, you know, it's, you have to pick the right market. And, and, and secondly, um, what you mentioned about uh, you know, there, there's, there's, every every newbie in Canada was just banking on appreciation, right like yeah. there was no and obviously in the last few years things were great, but now that things are starting to change, uh you know that's kind of a wake up call for a lot of people, especially if they bought at the peak of the market uh, in the last one year right so so now you're you're starting to see these newbie investors that are not educated kind of taking a big hit, you know. So uh, yeah, diversifying and, and looking at uh, fundamentals is, is so important when you're investing.
0: Absolutely. Can I tell, I tell some of my students, I'm like, you may have to slow things down to speed things up, if that makes sense. And I'll explain. Especially this market climate that things have changed substantially in both sides of the border, even here in the US. The rates yeah. have gone up considerably. So things are starting to take longer. Market conditions have changed than where they were earlier in the year. The so expectations on both sides, sellers and buyers are are, are still kind of like trying to figure out how do we line up that makes sense. So as an investor, you may have to slow down on acquisitions to kind of really find a good deal because too often in the past, people just, they want to buy a deal. They don't want to get left out. I just yeah, got to get sure. something because and I can form. never afford something. It's going to price me out and I can never buy a house. I can never buy a sixplex. I can never get okay. but But what we're finding now, it's like, you may have bought something just for the sake of buying it, but it had no fundamental sense. Now you're kind of left hanging and now you're like struggling. It's like, well, I was banking on that refi. Now what do I do? I got negative cash flow potentially. And I I've I've spoken to some people, like they've, they've been holding assets for several years, negative cash flow. And actually upside down. The property, I mean, the mortgage is much more than the actual uh, the value of the property. I was speaking to a client uh, that bought a property um in edmonton like five years ago not edmonton sorry alberta fort mcmurray somewhere five six years ago i mean they bought for 500 still worth 350 after like five six years oh, wow. i mean this stuff happens you're it yeah. in books type of thing but yeah. it's really possible yeah. in you know. canada where you think wait a minute anyone yeah. who bought something made money not necessarily right yeah. so definitely it may take time to slow things down and that's what i've been doing the last five six months i have been, i've been kind of slowing down on my acquisitions because i'm I'm making offers where I think the, the value is, but the seller expectation hasn't kind of like met, you know, me and my team. Um, so what's happened is like, all right, I'm gonna be more patient. Cause I still think there's gonna be some some more, um, we haven't hit the bottom. So with that, it's just being patient. Just be prepared, really come to terms of what are your, um, your numbers that make sense? What is the type of deal you wanna get involved in? and just make offers based on that. And it may take time before you actually lock it up. So don't don't just rush into a deal, slow it down, find something that makes sense. Uh, If not, then just wait it, because I think we still got some more downturn um, over the upcoming months. And maybe by the end of the year, it's probably maybe potentially level, like hit the bottom. So by that time, if you pick something up, you you should be in, in good shape. So just be patient. Uh, that's hard to say because we're hustlers right yes yes, 100
3: and and that's exactly what we're doing is we kind of feel like we're being unproductive right now a lot Uh, of times
2: it's a lot of learning it's a lot of analytics it's a lot of sitting down and evaluating things and your cash position like so many different things right um but the mindset that we're all in and have been in for so long is like we gotta be doing something or we're like jose has a saying right either you're growing or you're dying so like we feel like hey like we're not growing like when you're not adding doors you're not growing in in our mind right but ultimately like you said i mean it it comes you got to be more sophisticated and really you got to come down to your you got to dig deeper right like what is your real why what is it that you're trying to accomplish the doors are just a product of that right like it's not like how many doors you're adding or how many acquisitions you're doing, uh, that's feeding your ego more than it is feeding your why. So uh, we've had to really work on ourselves too. And like, um, thankfully, you know, we, we have, again, like the more you surround yourself with people who are doing this and educate yourself, the more of those um, warning lights start flashing at you, warning you that these are, these are the realities, which is again, why, you know, people should invest in good coaching and, and, and surround themselves with, with people who are in the trenches as well. It, there's, there's nothing more valuable than that. So no, that's great. So I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, you're kind of in different markets, different strategies, uh, doing a whole lot of different things. Uh, tell us about how you navigate that. And I mean, how you're able to like, like, what, what do you do to evaluate opportunities? How do you decide which opportunities you're going to take and, and how do you do all of that?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I'm not saying I have a perfect formula because the longer you are in real estate, different types of opportunities will present themselves. So it's up to us to determine is this something I want to get involved in? And if, if so, I'm like, how much do I want to get involved into it? Um, so I started off as a buy and hold investor, then did some flips. And then that was kind of like my main thing. And then several years ago, maybe two and a half, three years ago, I got involved in wholesaling that completely like, it wasn't even ca- planned out. I just said, I just had an opportunity. I wholesale it. And I was like, wow, that was, that was easy. I and mean, that was pretty quick making money. So I started getting involved in wholesaling on the side. Um, but at the same time oh, here in California, I'm a licensed realtor. So I have kind of clients, you know, doing realtor business, but then it got to a point where things can get really overwhelming and you're bouncing around a lot. And then I got, you know, obviously this year I got coaching and, and so forth. So, it's important that you really come to terms of what you really enjoy doing, what you like to do, Um, also the amount of time you have available and where potentially your efforts will will provide the best return. Um, So whatever that looks like for you, I mean, it's really, I really make it clear. And then from there, uh, what I like, we kind of talk briefly offline, um, in real estate, we talk about you like leverage. So leverage is, I mean, it's the thing in real estate. The first thing people think of when you talk about leverage is, oh, leveraging is you know use the bank's money. I put down payment leverage in the bank. So yes, you, you're leveraging money, so other people's money, OPM, which is great. But what else can you potentially leverage? And when you start expanding your mind, you start realizing, well, I could leverage other people's time, and that might actually be more. Uh, valuable than leverage other people's money. Um, yes, you need money to acquire a deal but if you're able to strategically leverage other people's time, now you're just duplicating yourself in so many different and so much more in terms of the the, the, the capacity that you could take on. And also if you are leveraging strategic individuals like high level um, really sound investors, well now I'm I'm leveraging their expertise. So what I've done over the last couple of years is partner with certain individuals who have high competency in certain streams of real estate. And it's been very beneficial with me. Uh, And and I'll give you an example. It's like short-term rental. So, you know, it means one of the most popular strategies these days, right? Mainly because of uh, the higher cash flow that it could potentially, you know, spit out. So, for myself, I got to a point where well, I'm already busy. Do I want to stop and shift my focus and start learning how to do short-term rental, create a team, and get involved in that? Because I'm gonna have to learn it and then train and create systems and operations, uh, which which is fine. I mean, I could do that. Or what I decided: Why well, don't just partner with someone who's already doing it, and maybe I don't get the whole pie. Well, I'm okay. When I realized: I rather have a smaller piece of a larger pie than a a big piece of a larger pie, and, uh, and it's been very beneficial. So I'm able to get involved in short-term rental, but I don't know the first thing about posting a listing on Airbnb. So so often people are asking me Airbnb or short-term rental, you know, questions. I'm like, well, I'm not the guy. I'm involved in it. I got several, you know, units on, on short-term rental, but I've partnered with an individual who kind of handles all that. And you can do that in all aspects in in, in real estate. So similar to um, similar to wholesaling. So I was doing wholesale on my side, on the side, and it was going well, but I ended up partnering with an individual, creating a team, and now my my time is really minimum in wholesaling. And, and then there's some months where it's like, money's, revenue's coming in, and I'm like, where is this coming from? Cause you know, I just, oh, we just closed another deal. Um, you know, we had a couple of sales, we've locked up a few other deals, upcoming month. So it's great. So, and I'm okay sharing that because again, multiple streams of income with with the less amount of time is kind of where we want to get to. So it's almost creating these passive revenue streams Um, and, you know, passive can be zero amount of hours to minimum amount of hours, you know, so there's also a range there of what, uh, what constitutes being passive type of thing. And one more thing I want to kind of talk about, which we kind of like we're talking a little earlier, market conditions will also dictate what strategy makes most sense, right? So people were flipping very, you know, very over the last few years because the market conditions were going up. Yeah. All of a sudden, I've met several people where there's, they're hung now, where they've got six, seven, you know, flips on the go. And, and they're like, they can't sell them. Um, they've had to the do price reductions um, or sell them at a loss. So, I mean, if you're considering getting into real estate, you probably want to be weary about doing flipping right, right now because of marketing conditions. I'm not saying you can't make money, but again, the conditions of market will play into that. Um, And one strategy. So one thing that's important, what what I'm finding is over the years, the longer you're in real estate, the different things you get involved in, you're really creating a solid um, toolkit for yourself of experience. So at any given time, you can pull a certain strategy or a certain thing out and apply it. So, and I'll give you another example, um, private lending. So that wasn't something I've been doing the last number of years, mainly because I've been acquiring properties. But this year, because I mentioned earlier, we're slowing things down. And instead of like rushing into just acquiring something for the sake of acquiring, I just thought of the idea, what about private lending? My money's just sitting in the bank. Why don't I put it to use? So I've been able to do private lending, which is really passive, really hands off. But my money is still working and I've been able to get some amazing returns. So that's something for you and your audience to consider is in the market condition like this, where it's harder to get funding from lenders, from banks, perhaps you want to get involved in something like private lending where you can get like over 20% return because there are investors looking for capital to deploy into deposits or kind of like carry them over until a refi comes in. So that wasn't available a year ago. But as a well-rounded investor, this is another tool that you could pull out. I I probably did one private loan prior to this year. And this year it's been back to back to back to back. And it's been very successful. And it's been a win-win. I've been connecting with experienced investors who they're in a cash crunch. They're saying, well, uh, you know, an example is like my refi is not coming in for a couple more months. Can you lend me some money? I'll give you excellent returns. So someone looking at paper like, Wow. Like, but this is the condition that will allow that. A year ago, the same kind of loan would been like 10, 11, 12%. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's very, very, very creative. And, and yeah, a very, it, you have to change with the times, right? Uh, pivot. Yeah. You got to pivot uh, as much as possible. And the more, more strategies you have uh, learned about or you know of, in your toolbox, then you can pivot as uh, quickly, right? So when, for example, you know, let's say uh, you mentioned about the flipping, once the market conditions improve, you know, flipping will may come back again, right? Uh, so
2: Yeah, or there's going to be a great, like you said, a great time to buy. And, you know, just being patient and studying the fundamentals and economics that are happening around you will right. allow you to to determine that. But yes, being a well-rounded investor is really important. And you know, it's interesting. There's two schools of thoughts. Like way back when we started, it was like, no, like you got to focus. You got to be a one trick pony. You got to be good at one thing. Right. And we also never believed in that. Um, Jose is also like you know, who, who's kind of the visionary behind the business is always been a big believer that, Hey, like you got to have multiple tricks in your hat. You can't just be a one trick pony. Um, It's great to focus. And I mean, one thing can be your main focus, but you always have to have other things that you can lean to. And we've been the same way. We've always been able to identify where things are going and pivot accordingly. And, and, you know, there's seasons, right. There's seasons in real estate and you kind of have to be able to gauge that season and ride those waves. And I think that's actually where the money's made is being able to identify the right wave to ride. Um, and, and sort of when you need to get off another to make sure you don't drown, if I can use that analogy, but like yeah. just being able to navigate that very well. So yeah, yeah. no, I,
0: I like that. I mean, staying focused definitely is something like, yeah, was kind of taught back in the day. But I think parlaying that just to being organized, I think is, is probably um, very important because, I mean, in real estate with all these different strategies and different um, things to consider, we can get really spread out and disorganized, which can cause, you know, a lot of stress and mismanaging of, of, of our resources. So I think there's something to say to really get organized. Now, However, that looks for everyone's differently. I mean, but I kind of like have organized my schedule in a certain way which works for me. It may not work for for you or somebody else, but I found this way it's pretty efficient. Like I have my coaching calls a certain time of day per week. I'll have these discovery calls a certain time per week. And I utilize Calendly or other apps to kind of like keep things in check so that I'm focused and my my days are pretty predictable. And then having these other, you know, other other things that come in but the disruption isn't as much as maybe it was in the past.
3: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about your uh, the Wealth Genius part. Um, so, and w- what the group is about. Uh, your role in the expansion to the U.S. market. Um, you know, and and perhaps uh, just some general info about it.
0: Sure, absolutely. So I, I mentioned earlier, you know, partner with Alfonso, the founder of Wealth Genius. Um, back in January, it was probably like 100 members. And now we've got about 400 members across Canada from Vancouver to Halifax. So when I connected with him, um, the vision is, like, all right, uh, I mean, we're, we're doing all these live events. We're getting a lot of attraction. People are joining the group. Um, so in terms of what people get for joining the group, well, you get assigned a coach. So there's several coaches um, and you are basically... Have a coach assigned to you every two weeks you meet your coach in between you have these uh, mastermind sessions with the group as a whole so we're on these larger zoom calls uh and mainly for training you know it's whatever topic last week was like blind, bear trust agreements uh we may have some guest speakers that sort of thing um but we encourage a lot of the interaction so not only do you get a list of 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 training and modules and all that educational stuff but there's this networking within a group, which I find that's the that's where the magic happens. I've been involved in other groups, but what I found in Wealth Genius is it's attracted some really amazing people, like really amazing people where it's like the group, the private group online is super active and people are collaborating together very frequently. So you join, you start, you start, you know, letting us, you know, you start connecting with other members. So we always encourage just have these daily Zoom calls, just make yourself known in the group. And over time, I realized, I really like that conversation I had with Jose. I really spoke well with this other individual. And then it's like, okay, what's the next step? I was like, well, I mean, what are you doing? Well, I'm doing this. Well, let's let's partner together. So that's been happening very frequently in a group. And it's amazing to see that. It's not something that we're forcing. It's just happening just naturally. Um, so to be in an environment where you have that, um, or if you're an investor and you're looking for an opportunity for either more deals or to raise capital, this is kind of like a fertile environment to do that. Um in addition, we've got all these live events which I think has been the key element to for the growth because I think when 2020 hit, everything went online. Everything went to virtual, which is great and efficient, and I I do a lot of this, but there's something to say to do live events and people want to get together and just hang out. So, we've in, we've adopted that and we've had like, you know, in any given month, we probably have like five or six events somewhere in Canada. It's in person. A meetup, a boot camp, a mastermind. We're getting together at 20, 30, 50, 80 people type of thing. And just, you know, some of it's educational, but there's an element, there's camaraderie, hanging out, catching up, and friendship.
2: Absolutely. No, that's great. And I actually had a question. I, I think it should have kind of preempted this question because we were kind of talking about the US, but with all we, we kind of touched on the fact that the U S is so big and there's so many markets. And I think this is a question that so many people have is how do you select the right market? And <laughs> how do you really, um, you know, you're in California. I, I, I don't know where you're investing in the U S, but I'm suspecting that you're not just investing in California. You're, Correct. you've got other properties in other markets. So how do you identify those markets when you're dealing? Cause I mean, it is a sense of overwhelm I and mean, I'll be honest for us too. Um, we've been in the U S for some time, but it's a constant struggle determining where to go next. Um, um, and, and the other thing that I find about the U S is that, you know, things are not as fluid as they are in Canada in the sense that like pockets can be very, very different. So, you know, we live in, a, you know, let's say you live in a Toronto or you live in like Barry, I mean, Barry's Barry, like somebody who says I'm investing in Barry. It's very much like there's, there's a very much of a similarity between the different neighborhoods. It's just a different pocket, maybe different size house or whatever, but in the right. U S it's just that much more complex. So, you know, talk to us about um, the, maybe talk, touch on the importance of having local boots on the ground and having those connections and, and maybe just some high level criteria that, you know, you guys employ when you're trying to help people select where to go in the U S.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's great. Co- it's a great topic. And actually last week on my U S group call, this was a topic. I, how identify a market. I'm like, the reality is with a population of like 300 million people, you're going to have such difference in in areas in a city that you don't get in Canada. You know, our cities are like thousands of people versus there it's millions of people. Mm -hmm. So you've got like in one city, you got from A to D, you know, in terms of like quality level. um, and, And it's, it's not perfect science, I would say. I mean, I kind of premise it, to people it's like listen people are making money and losing money in every state in the us all right so when you say is there one particular area no i mean people are making money in every state it's just understanding that particular market what i kind of also talked about at the us boot camp was well, you probably want to stack things in your favor and what do i mean by that well i mentioned earlier landlord-friendly state that's something that's if you if you pick a state that's landlord-friendly all right now you're kind of weighing it more in your favor Look at potentially um, property tax. I mean, property tax varies from like 0.3% to like almost 3% in different states. So you may want to look at a state which has a little bit lower property tax. Why? Well, again, more into your favor. And then kind of going to more economical kind of data. We'll start looking at areas where there's job growth, areas where people are moving to. Um, and then that will kind of continue to stack things in your favor. Um, then your resources and connections and contacts, that's going to be huge. And that's going to stack in more into your favor. Then maybe if you've got some familiarity, you know a particular town or or city or or state because you visited it type of thing. Or So that's what sometimes I'll end up doing. I'll fly out, spend four days in an area, kind of make all kinds of connections, drive it street by street, really kind of get a sense of what areas to stay away from, what areas I'd like to be in, Talking to the local realtors, property managers, those are the ones who live in those areas. So you want to really squeeze as much information uh, from those people to kind of like help you, and always cross references with with several to see if they're saying the same thing. Yeah. I never just take one person's word. I mean, I mean just to make sure what this person's saying is is correct. So I kind of have a if I if I'm talking to a realtor, I'll talk to several realtors, and they may all. Confirm yes. This is a great area to invest in. Stay away from that area because sure, you know. I mean, I, I used Ohio, so I was investing in Cleveland for a number of years. You've got some areas of Cleveland you definitely want to stay away from. But look at the deal price; you can buy something like forty k a door. I mean, yeah, but that's a really rough tenant profile, you know, and and you may not even get rent type type of thing. Uh, and the condition of properties is very you know delaric type of thing. So those are things that you have to factor in your favor. Um, And then it comes to a point where, all right, with all these factors, where are the opportunities? Because what I found sometimes, like, I really want to invest in a particular area, but there's no deals there. So now what? You know, you just wait there until you find a deal? So then you may be waiting a long time. So you probably want to do similar uh, setup in a few different markets and then see what rises. And that's what I am doing. I'm focused on two, three different markets and say, okay, based on the areas that I've done my research and have my contacts, um, I'm going to continue to you know, focus until a deal comes up that makes sense. Um, again, there's 50 different markets in the U.S. Um, and depending on the strategy also, like one of my coaching uh, students yesterday, we were initially talking about investing in multifamily. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to stress about finding multifamily. I'm just going to start flipping. I found a place, you know, in Michigan of all places where the price points is low enough I could buy cash. There's enough of a spread, I think, that I could flip it. I'm okay making like 30, 40 grand, you know, I'm just doing that for a couple of deals and maybe just kind of building up a little bit of a nest egg before I find something. Because, he, you know, he, was, he got in that situation where he's looking at different markets, talking to different people, and he's just getting kind of overwhelmed. And he's like, well, I, I just don't know. And I don't want to stress about it, but I still want to take action. So also the strategy may also dictate the the area um, to focus on. If you're looking for larger multifamily, 100 plus, well, it's gonna kind of direct you in, a certain, in certain places more than other places. It starts eliminating certain places. So again, and there's a lot of factors to consider, but just kind of process of elimination and start um, stacking things into your favor will start putting you in towards a certain direction and a certain market, a certain area that you probably want to start focusing on. But it's hard to say because again, we we, we could talk about four or five different strategies, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. hundred percent. It's 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 yeah, well said. Um, yeah, some good, it's really good advice. Exactly. Um yeah. I yeah. think
2: that's the best way I've heard it put actually is you know <laughs> stacking it. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's just building a building like almost a case. For a certain market by, you know, starting to layer all of the evidence that supports right. that decision. Right.
0: And in the U.S., I mean, I find there's more information available than in Canada in general. Yeah, I think privacy laws and just the type of technology just just much more favorable in the U.S. I've found in general. For sure. And, yeah. and, and then you can, there's like um, different systems well, that you yeah. can, you can pay for and, and just get access to certain data that's just not available in Canada that yeah. could can help yeah. you
3: hundred yeah, percent. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's great. So as we're kind of coming to a wrap here, I just wanted to, we always ask our guests, is there kind of a saying or a quote that, you know, you, uh, resonates with you or that helps you in your business or your life? I mean, you're obviously a super successful guy. I, I think that, you know, you've managed to accomplish so many different things and it's admirable, all the initiatives to, you know, mentor and educate others. I think that that's, there's so much value. There's so many phony mentors out there. Um, So make sure you pick a good one. Um, You know, you guys are uh, somebody who's actually done it and somebody who's doing it because they love it. So I think that that's wonderful. And um, I, I definitely think that People should, I I get people who ask me often, like I just had a call with somebody last week saying, Hey, like, do you have a group that you would recommend, you know? And back in the day for us, it was rain too. I mean, we used to go to rain. I mean, Don Campbell was the legend and his economic fundamentals really changed our life. Like it, it truly and honestly did. So being part of a group like that, that is based on people who are you know, basing their decisions on education, on fundamentals, on proven strategies, there's no value for that, especially as a new investor. So yeah, definitely we'll link it in our notes about how we can check out Wealth Genius and how people can get in touch. But back to our quotes. So maybe you can share something with us, uh, some words of wisdom.
0: Yeah, I mean, all, first of all, I'm, I'm blessed to be in the position I am today. Um, its It hasn't been overnight. It's taken years to get here. Uh, and I still, I'm constant learning, so I don't pretend to know everything. I tell people all, all the time, I'm a constant learner. You know, I, I'm, I'm at different interval and on the journey, but there's still a long way for me to grow as well as a person. Um, but to me, you know, credibility, reputation is huge. I, I, I'm always in the mindset that just to do unto others, you know, the golden rule: do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Um, so, I kind of go into an environment and say, listen, this is what I know. This is what I'm imparting. Um, And, uh, but don't pretend to know everything, Uh, but just want to give the most that I can uh, and just, and it's the best Um, and never to undermine things. And um, because at the end of the day with me, my faith is such a big component of my life that, I mean, it's kind of supersedes all this investing stuff. Um, So I kind of share about who I am. I don't lead it off always with. I'm a real estate investor, you know. Like uh, I'm, I'm a man of God. I mean, I'm here. I, mean, I just all the things in my life, I just give it to God. And from there, I'm a husband. I'm a father. And then after that, I'm a real estate investor, you know, business person, that sort of thing. So with that premise in place, like I answer the higher calling. So I kind of analyze myself every day. What am I doing? Am I doing the right thing for people, for others around me? And I just kind of like I, I, I just operate. Um, so you know, hopefully that resonates with the people and they appreciate that. But in the, the day, I don't look to burn any bridges and uh, and and you know damage it for one deal because too often you hear it's like something happened uh, and someone's reputation gets tarnished because of one deal. I mean, there's always going to be deals out there. So I think at the end of the day, it's just operate with uh, you know with a clear conscience and just wanting to do the best thing in all scenarios. And then, you know, um, you probably would be, you know, on the right path.
3: Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, So, yeah, we, we, you know, uh, thanks. Thanks so much for being on our show. It's been a a real
0: pleasure. Um,
2: So many great insights, I'm sure. Um,
3: What's the, what's the best way people can uh, get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, guys, thank you for having me here. It's been, it's been awesome to be on your show. Um, Thank you for this opportunity. And I wish you guys all the best. And uh, in terms of connecting with me, um, you know, most people hit me up off of Instagram and uh, that's probably just DM me there or or on Facebook as well. Um, Those are probably the two main places that are my most accessible on social media. Um, So yeah, feel free to connect that way.
2: Okay, great. We'll link it in our show notes, um, Instagram, Facebook handles, um, and as well as contact for uh, Wealth Genius. So if people are interested, they can definitely get in touch. So thanks again, Thomas. It was so Thank great. You. Thank you for your time. We appreciate awesome. your honesty and all the information. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.